The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the name of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. With this Sunday, our liturgical year begins again as we enter Advent, a season of preparation, prayer, and penitence. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. Today we hear of the coming of the Son of Man. Facing the unforeseen future, we are called challenged to live with graceful vigilance. In that spirit, we have lit our first Advent candle this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again and his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We are invited during the Kyrie to offer our own prayers of confession. Our age as much as and perhaps more than any other hungers for the language of contrition, longs for a spirit of compunction, yearns for the courage of confession. For together we face the darkness of violence, the ignorance of greed, the corruption of religion. So we seek the one thing needful in a time of various forms of ruin, a desire for pardon given by the breath of God. Let us pray. good news, we worship the God of pardon and peace, sisters and brothers of ours in the fair state of Georgia and along the St. Lawrence River in New York State and around the globe, together with you, celebrate the God of pardon and peace. You know God to be a pardoning God. Thanks be to God. This is the gospel. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. 
and may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10, with the antiphon. for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his decrees. Now let us stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. Glory to you, O Lord. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Superstition discourages us from thinking too much about things that are too bad. Let sleeping dogs lie, we say. Irrationally, but honestly, we resist considering harsh possibilities, partly out of the very human hope that if we do not mention them, they will not happen or, more dreamily, might not even exist.
My parents' generation had this feeling about the word cancer. In fact, at some level, most of us construe our lives most days as if we were, in the words of a poet and former parishioner, now gone on to glory, as if we were temporarily immortal. Religion, sadly and regularly, includes measures of superstition, idolatry, hypocrisy, pride, sloth, and falsehood. This is the reminder, the warning given us in the Protestant principle 500 years old, the necessary religious critique of religion. You may augment or even multiply this manner of superstitious avoidance with regard to sermons. Hope, encouragement, promise, these are our homiletical preferences, both in listening and in speaking. A fellow Ohio Wesleyan alumnus and an eminent graduate of Boston University, recently honored here and rightly so, made that his single message until his death on Christmas Eve in 1995. There is something to be said of and for, about and with Norman Vincent Peale and his power of positive thinking. Furthermore, there is simply sometimes a matter of courtesy at work in our reluctance to name the elephant in the room. We much prefer someone else to do so. If we are forced, we will sometimes use the device, the locution, John said that, so bracketing the offense in a quotation of some hopefully absent soul or other. We avoid, but life has a way of presenting itself anyway. The day I deposited our youngest child in his freshman dormitory, I met a fellow dad, a fellow depositeer. I soon learned that he was from my hometown, Syracuse, and that he had been there in our own return, return year's time in, this, in that city during the late 1980s, and that, that he had been a university administrator. Ignorant, I went ahead to ask, so how was your time in our neighborhood? If I could describe the pain in his eyes, which I cannot, I would not, for your sake and mine. I was heavily involved in the recovery from Lockerbie, he said. That probably means little or nothing to you from this long distance. Even then, 2002, it took a half second for me to catch the subtext to hear the unspoken. And when I caught up, I sorely regretted my courtesy, my prying inquisitiveness, overheated on a day of much emotion. For in 1988, in Lockerbie, Scotland, 200 Syracuse students and others were hurled to their painful, horrific deaths by Libyan terrorists. In retrospect, you can draw a straight line with some other dots along it from 1988 to 9-11, that Christmas, then Chancellor Eggers gave an interview in the Syracuse Herald Journal. I will never forget the tone of pathos, of loss in his interview, nor will I forget his grief, nor will I forget his challenge. He was quoted as saying, we look to the chapel and nothing seems to come. And now that I am a dean of a chapel, his words ring ever louder, ever louder, louder still. Mel Eggers was a great builder, a great leader, a great president, but he never really recovered from Lockerbie, in my view. How could he? Remembering Eggers' challenge, I have written today's sermon, today's interpretation of Luke 21, itself an ancient apocalypse. 
Today, apologies now made in advance for what is an awkward and difficult message. I want to speak a pastoral word about the fire next time. We have together the wisdom of the Bible, the presence of the Spirit, and the experience of pastoral imagination to go on. But for a word like this, we will also need your wisdom, your spirit, and your experience. So in advance, I ask your patience, forbearance, indulgence, and perhaps even forgiveness. This is a hard word both to speak and to hear. As a world community, as a nation, and particularly as Christian people within both world and national communities, we need furiously to work to prevent and we need strongly to be prepared. We need to work to prevent and we need to be prepared for the fire next time. I say this as someone who had to wait to hear if parishioners survived 9-11, who conducted services with thousands of people present in those days, whose parishioners were sent to discover the remains of the dead in New York City, who rode through the after effects of 9-11 in a congregation of many thousand who were by turns faithful, angry, patient, vengeful, patriotic, nationalist, Christian, and American. After the following Sunday service, as powerful an hour of worship as I can recall, a good friend nonetheless critically said, well, that was all right, but you should have ended with God bless America. 9-11 did not start the fire. I hope that 9-11 is its end. I pray so, I work so, I hope so, and I fervently desire that it may be so, that no other child shall have to hear that mom went to work and did, did not come home because of a fire of that kind. And may we spend every thoughtful moment, every creative hour, every generous impulse to beat back the flames of the fire next time. My prayer and my expectation is that there will be no fire next time, no other. 9-11. Such is not God's will. Such is not our desire. Such is in nobody's interest. But I have parishioners, past, present, future. I'm baptizing babies, marrying young people, counseling the bereaved, working with the sick, teaching faith by precept and example, and burying the dead Friday by Friday. And I have a pastoral responsibility that anyone with a pastoral imagination will admit includes being prepared for the unforeseen future. Our apocalyptic gospel from Luke 21, a fading late first century prediction of the end of time, no longer occupies, 20 centuries later, the kind of literal centrality for Christian teaching which it did in the year 90. Even then, by Luke's time, apocalyptic was waning. The church, beginning with the church's formative influence on the New Testament, converted apocalyptic eschatology into ethical exhortation. Portents and predictions of wars and rumors of wars became, in the main, as they are today, words of caution and preparation and warning. Take heed be prepared. And on that basis this morning we shall render, interpret Luke 21. Plan for the worst, hope for the best, then do your most, leave all the rest. 
How many times have you heard me say that in three years? Yet how often have we truly preached the first line, plan for the worst? Not all tragedy befalls someone else. Not all inexplicable, hurtful, senseless accident happens to other families. Not all fire burns in the next town down the line. Into each life, a little rain must fall, and more than a little rain usually does. If every heart has secret sorrows, which every heart does, then every home harbors potential hurt, as every home does. More. Religious expression has its perils. That is the Protestant principle 500 years old. The best way to prepare for the fire next time is fire prevention. The best way to stop the fire is to keep it from starting. And we all have some responsibility here. You have responsibility. You have responsibility in your time and in your way to strive for the things that make for peace. You can make a difference. Let me just take two examples, speaking of religion with regard to a crowded, small world in which Europe and some parts of North America accepted, religion is furiously alive. That is not necessarily a good thing, but it is a fact. First, you need to know something about non-Christian religion, and you are in a good place to make a start. In 30 minutes, starting here at Marsh Chapel, you can visit active communities of most of the world's great religious on foot along Bay State Road. Right here, you can take a walk and learn something in one half hour about Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, and we will include for humorous effect that great New England religious expression, baseball. A simple walk along Bay State Road and out onto the Fenway Park will show you Hinduism, Judaism, Catholicism, Islam, Protestantism, and in all, the search for common ground. Or you can read Houston Smith or read him again. Before you come back to church, push yourself to some further, better comprehension of the world of the world's religions. They make a difference not always for the good. Take heed. It is good form not to judge what you do not understand or know. Walk in different moccasins. You need not affirm, agree with, or accept any particulars from any of these traditions. But these are things that matter greatly to the vast majority of the world's population, which population looks, by the way, not like you. Second, for your own health and well-being, you need, for your own health, to find one counter-influence to the fire next time of your own considered selection and make a point of doing something. Help Iraqi refugees. Support housing for the world's poor. Fund a mission trip beyond the borders of this country. Travel for learning and serving. Spend some time in women without borders discussion groups. As Christian people, you have nothing to defend and everything to share. 
support here, our own nascent, new this year, Marsh Chapel and Boston University Religious Life Interfaith Council. If nothing else, you can write a check. Prevention matters. Nonetheless, all the prevention in the world and for the world is not enough to interpret this gospel. It is not enough to prevent, as primary as that is. We also need to prepare. We may have another serious catastrophe somewhere in the country or somewhere around the globe. It is not a question of taking such a portent in stride, for there is no such stride and there is no such taking. Yet we can prepare ourselves spiritually for days we hope will never arrive. We can prepare by taking heed, facing facts, being ready. How? One starting point is a phrase from our president in 2002. We shall meet violence with patient justice. I never tire of repeating this quintessentially wise proverb. We shall meet violence with patient justice. You may dispute the living of it, even harshly judge various failures, both in patient, patience and injustice in the past years. That, however, does not diminish the truth and the honest integrity of the desire and the insight, patient justice. We can learn to respond, not to react. We can learn to be responsible, not reactive. That is to seek patient justice. But to do so, we shall need deeper, truer preparation. One wonders what kind of training those civil disobedient youth had 50 years ago that kept them in check in the face of dogs, hoses, curses, and clubs. No training alone would ever be enough. There must reside deeper in the heart what Niebuhr called a spiritual discipline against resentment and what we today might simply name as Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is, we are going to need to learn the arts of disciplined endurance. At some low level, our collective psyche tells us this, for we are pushing toward it. Hence, in this neighborhood, the increase in jogging, running, cycling, in all forms of physical endurance. At some bone level, our bodies are telling us to be prepared for a long twilight struggle. Those of us who live in U.S. cities by choice have every reason to think soberly in these terms. We are potential targets. Radical Islamic fundamentalist terrorism and other forms of terrorism are actual historic realities which need to be tracked, contained, and defeated by international police and military work. Meanwhile, here we are. The fact that another so-called fire may break out or does break out does not change the lasting commitments we have to freedom, peace, justice, love. In fact, such portents serve to toughen and harden our commitments so named. 
as Luke remembered his apocalyptic inheritance, let us remember our religious inheritance in the voice of one who can encourage and admonish and advise us. I refer to Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel is a great encouragement to many of us. Each autumn at Boston University on three Monday evenings, our community sits to listen as he sits to teach. Biblical theology, historical criticism, religious insight, and pastoral guidance are annually, regularly, beautifully combined. I listened to his last, his third lecture this fall from the balcony due to an earlier commitment. I had to arrive a little late and so went up to the balcony. In any case, by confession, I am a balcony sitter by nature. The lines are always better there, the sound is always clearer, and there is plenty of space. Wiesel this year concluded his reflections on the tragic history of the St. Louis, a moment of American moral failure which had mortal consequences, with some words of advice. Coming from someone so wise and from someone of his experience, these words bear weighted meaning. I noted them quickly and quote them fully, for they bear weighted meaning. They bear weighted meaning for us as we face an uncertain, unforeseeable, unforeseen, and perilous future, he said. Waiting in the face of crisis is a sin, Silence in a crisis is a sin, too. When you are planning to give help, do so quickly. Act yourself. Do things yourself. Do not depend on someone else to do it for you. Never give in to despair. Never give up on hope. Think higher. Feel deeper. So we also read in the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 21, verse 25 and following. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a snare. For it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the earth, but watch at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that take place, and so to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. O come, all ye faithful. Come, ye thankful people, come. Come, ye disconsolate. Come, let us adore him. The beckoning words of these familiar hymns serve as our invitation to prayer this morning. You may stand, sit, or come to the altar rail if it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together hymn 473, 
lead me, Lord. to praise you, Lord, for you are good and your love endures forever. We offer our prayers of praise to you, Father. We offer prayers of thanksgiving as well as praise, for you have blessed us. We thank you for the strength and endurance to deal with the difficulties in our lives. We thank you for your tender mercy, for you sent the dawn from heaven providing light to those of us in darkness and a beacon to the way of peace. We thank you for this light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, for through him we know that salvation and forgiveness of sin is possible. Our hope is in you, God, our Savior. We trust that you will abide with us if we call upon you. We are living in anguish. We pray for your comfort. We need to make decisions and we're not sure what to do. We pray for your guidance. We have sinned. We pray for your forgiveness. Good and upright Lord, heal our afflictions of anxiety, indecisiveness, and sinfulness. Teach us your loving and faithful way. Guide us in what is right. Forgive us. We reflect on your graciousness, your mercy, and all the things you have done for us. Thank you, Father, for the abundance of your steadfast love. During this season of preparation and anticipation, we will surely sing, O come, let us adore thee. Holy Spirit, cleanse our hearts so that we may put these words into action. Help us to adore you by approaching others with humility, gentleness, patience, understanding, and peacefulness. Help us to adore you by using our talents to nourish people who hunger for food, shelter, knowledge, justice, freedom, love, acceptance, a kind word, or a helping hand. Help us to adore you by simply forgiving. We pray that as your faithful servants, we will accept this responsibility to adore you by loving each other. We call on you, O God, for you will answer us. Give ear to us and hear our prayers, for we offer them in the name of love's pure light, Christ the Lord, and pray together as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, as we begin the season of Advent, we pause in our worship to welcome our guests and visitors. You may be here for the first time. If you are, know how glad we are that you have come. Please join the congregation now in the use of the ritual of friendship, the red book on the center aisle that will come to you that may we, we may greet one another by name. We draw your attention to the notices printed in the bulletin and available on the website. In particular, that the University Services of Lessons and Carols are annual. Celebration will be held December 11th at 6 p.m. and here December 13th at 11, at 11 a.m., following which there will be the annual Dean's Open House at 96 Bay State Road on December 13th. Likewise, on Christmas Sunday, December 20th, there will be a special brunch for families with children following worship. All are welcome, and particularly our families in the Marsh community with children. While many of our staff and faculty and administrators and students, graduate and undergraduate, are away this Sunday, we are happy to welcome a strong congregation and particularly itinerant preachers, traveling elders from Georgia and Kentucky and New York, and those with surnames of Simmons and of Fisterer and of Phillips are particularly welcome in our midst today. Following the postlude today, we ask you to remain seated for a brief notice. Those online are invited to give, those listening online are invited to give through the website, and those present now to give generously, the ushers will wait upon you.
we offer these gifts as a token of our thanks and praise. Let us seek out kneeling places this season in order to be mindful of your presence and of all that we have to give. Amen. darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. Amen.
Before we retire for coffee hour, I ask your indulgence for just a couple of minutes for this following notice. It may be that on December 1st, this coming Tuesday at or around 3.30 p.m., an incitement by a group led by one Fred Phelps of Topeka, Kansas, may uh, occur near our campus. We have no way of preventing the advent of this group, and I am very reluctant to give to them attention when what they seek is contention in attention. Nonetheless, they are planning, as we understand, to gather outside the Hillel House at 3.30 p.m. on Tuesday. That said, I read the following statement on behalf of Marsh Chapel, on behalf of the community here, and on behalf of Boston University and Religious Life and the Religious Life groups, so that there is spoken an alternative understanding to the Phelps incitement. The presence near our campus of an ostensibly Christian organization devoted to the hatred of gay people, to the hatred of people of other religions, and to the hatred of Christians of non-Protestant denominations is a sorry, tragic affront to our university, to its history, to its stated mission, to its motto, ethos, and practice, to its various communities, and to its religious life leadership, chaplains, and groups. It is difficult to find words strong and true enough to convey the shared disdain of our community for this most unwelcome intrusion. Particularly for those of Christian orientation, the reminder of the lasting vitality in our time of bigotry and anti-Semitism, cloaked in the garb of religion, brings measures of pain and shame. We recognize the right of free speech on city streets, but we unequivocally deplore what is said by this group. Thank you.